Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. I'm going to be completely transparent today because my guest is someone that I know awfully well. I have met him in person, not like many of my other guests who I've met on social media or online. And uh, there, my son-in-law, Married to my eldest son, Barak, (laughs) and currently living in Chiang Mai, Thailand. But I want them to talk more about themselves. And so welcome, Justin Garcia. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for having having me. It's nice because, you know, it's funny because we usually listen to your podcast over breakfast. So now... I'm a part of it. Yeah. You've leveled up. Yeah. So I've been wanting you to be on for a long time, but I, I know yeah. how busy you are. So I really didn't tell the listeners too much about you other mm. than how, how we know each other. So please, please tell them what, what you're doing and uh, what you're passionate about in, in your life sure. right now. Sure. Well, um, my name is Justin and my pronouns are they, them. I'm a non-binary um, gay person married to Eileen's fabulous son, Barak. And um, I have been teaching internationally for almost 10 years across several countries, in Germany and Korea, I met Kuwait, where I met Eileen and Barak. And now we've been in Chiang Mai for almost four years. And you know, my passions originally started in early elementary and ELL, but I've definitely, my passions have evolved into focusing more on um, equity and social justice and education and what that kind of looks like in an international context. Um, and I'd like to start off with just a funny story with how sure. we, we met for the first time. <laughs> I always it's just so it's just so funny because I had just started uh, dating Barak and Barak had just introduced us at your house and Barak forgot he had like a Skype date or something with with his GCC friends so Barak was like oh I have to go for an hour but you two can just you know chat (laughs) and I had just literally just met you But we hit it off right away because we just talked about teaching and education and we were just chatting nonstop for over an hour. And it was a great just first impression. Yeah, but but I definitely trusted us to be okay. He did. He's like, you're a teacher and you're a teacher. You just talk about being teachers and then (laughs) talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it was a wonderful way to get to know you really intensely right away. So, yeah. and I, I've watched your journey through the kinds of things that you've begun to focus on in your classroom. And so I'm really excited to be able to share that with our listeners today. So yeah. the first first question I uh, always ask my guests 
is if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, uh, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, my, the first thing that, come, that came to my mind mm -hmm. really was uh, safety and yes. how, you know, belonging, when you feel like you belong, you feel safe to be yourself. And you feel like this, not just that yourself is, is accepted, but also validated and celebrated. Um, so that was really the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, love, the, I love the way that you included celebrated. Mm -hmm. I, I never really thought about that, but it's not enough just to validate, but really to feel celebrated by, by someone else. And that helps with the validation, which, mm -hmm. so I, I really like that. I may steal that. <laughs> yeah, but steal this. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, um, and it's celebrated within the, the community as a whole for all of you, not just a part of you. Um, yes. And that's, I think that's often overlooked in yes. schools, um, especially being a queer person. You know, it's not enough to just be hire queer people or a queer person as a teacher, but also create a space where people, all people of all identities are celebrated and accepted and visible. And that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that speaks to the whole idea of, of equity and safety, mm -hmm. which we'll get into a little bit with some of our other questions. So yeah. Um, Justin, I, I wanted you to be able to describe your journey while growing up and um, <clears throat> having a lack of models in the classroom that validated what you were feeling about yourself and your own identity. And I know this has been something that we've sort of talked about and has become really, really important to you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot of personal conversations about it. And um, just as I have grown older, I've kind of leaned more into my identity before it was very suppressed. Um, especially growing up, I always felt different. It's very kind of a, maybe a cliche phrase or way of explaining it, but just different and alien and out of place. And I kind of knew who I wanted to be, but when the few times that I tried to be my authentic self, um, I was always just pushed, it was always just pushed down. It's like, no, you can't do that. Oh. You shouldn't do this. You were, you should do this, or you should feel this or think this. And I think that's a, a very common experience for queer people, especially for um, non-binary people like myself. Um, and you know, as I grew older, I kind of leaned more into my identity and um, leaned into my gender identity and um, my sexual orientation. And then also, you know, my neurodiversity. And as I just learned more and as I went to, I've been going to therapy um, for quite a while now and just unpacked a lot of those things, mm -hmm. I, became more comfortable and loving of myself and all aspects of my identity. And it also helped me connect the dots 
a little bit more. You know, as a kid, you just don't know what's mm -hmm. going on. It's very confusing. It's yeah. society saying one thing and internally you're thinking or feeling another thing, but it just helped mm -hmm. me connect the dots. Oh, that's why I had this, I have this anxiety. This is why I felt this way as a oh. child. And this is why this is explains this experience. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a long journey. Yeah. And, and I know that, you know, you, you've spoken about the fact that, and, and it's something that's spoken about a lot now, the fact that there, there need to be models in the classroom, or at least discussions in the classroom, so that this idea of safety, so basically, you, you didn't really feel safe in your space, because you were feeling this identity or these things, and people were telling you otherwise. So um, of course it was very confusing. No wonder you were anxious about it because you, on one hand you were feeling something and the other hand people were telling you, no, you, you, sh you shouldn't or you can't feel that. Um, mm. So that must've been very confusing. Yeah. So in, in obviously this has influenced your teaching or how you teach the kinds of things you teach in your classroom. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? What, what has your journey done for informing the way you teach your first graders? Yeah, it, it really, reflecting on my experience, um, you know, it's difficult because it wasn't a particularly happy mm -hmm. experience um, going to school and, um, when I was a kid and even kids now are sort of forced to conform in a certain way that isn't representative of themselves. Mm -hmm. So thinking about my experience with that helps me be more empathetic for one and it helps me relate to my students a little bit more, mm -hmm. a lot more actually. And then it just helps me change my practice and my mindset to be more inclusive and to honor and celebrate my students for who they are and you know let them lead their own learning and their own way at their own pace as opposed mm -hmm. to having to conform to very you know narrow ideas of what learning and what identity traditionally is in classroom spaces right yeah so what are what are some of the kind kinds of things that you're you're doing in order to expand that um, idea of identity mm -hmm. in your classroom and how did you prepare for that because it isn't something you can just walk into the classroom one day and start mm -hmm. doing you mm -hmm. I know you've been doing research uh, you've been learning more about yourself and your own identity how did that all fit together and when did you feel ready or how did you prepare for being able to feel comfortable doing that in your classroom so that your students responded in a way that you felt was inclusive. Yeah, I think it, it really starts with self-reflection. Mm -hmm. um, it really, any type of equity work or diversity or social justice work that anybody wants to do, big or small, I think has to start with the self-reflection and acknowledging um, your own privilege and um, your own biases and coming to terms with those and learning about different stories and experiences 
um, of not just the hardship, but also the joy of other people. And, and that requires a lot of intentional work and reaching out. Um, so I've been doing that just personally for a long time. And then when I felt comfortable, I just felt, I knew I was, I was, I knew I kind of just kind of knew I was ready and I okay. knew I wanted to go a certain avenue and I just focused on that. And that was with children's books is being really intentional about the children's books. I select to read and include in my classroom that represent a wide range of experiences and people yeah. um, and requesting those books to be added into our our own school library so then just kids and families have access to them because our school is my school is quite old I think it's almost it's over a hundred years old wow um, yeah. yeah it's been around for a long time and uh, there's a lot of books that represent only a single perspective mm -hmm. and you know, I'm really trying to do my best to change that within my contexts. And then using those texts helps me start discussions with students about, you know, um, social injustices and mm -hmm. um, socioeconomic inequality. And the students that I have in my class in particular are quite privileged in their wealth. Mm -hmm. It's a private school internationally. And so we talk a little and we unpack that a little bit and even at six years old the kids are aware of these stories they just have never had a chance to ask questions mm. and to discuss talk about it uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah i i think it's interesting because i know when you first started thinking about uh presenting who you really were in your classroom there was, um, you know, a little bit of maybe apprehension on your part. I don't want to put words in your mouth about, mm. about reactions from the students and the parents. But I think because you said you were ready, you know, you had reflected on your own journey and you were ready. Um, you had looked at the literature and it's so wonderful that you're using literature to sort of expand their horizons. And uh, I think you've said that they've responded really well to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're so young, they're six years old. And, you know, I think I, I read um, some research about how kids internalize um, gender norms and um, like skin color and that hierarchy that society has established a very young age, mm -hmm. um, maybe two or three years old, um, that could be inaccurate, but it's very young is the mm -hmm. point. And even my students now, they have an idea, this idea that girls should like pink and boys should like blue and red and how girls act one way and boys act another way. It's very gendered. It's right. just kind of instilled Mm -hmm. in them already um but we do a lot to challenge that you know read books about different types of characters and people of different genders and how rounded you can be and how people how rounded how well-rounded people are actually mm -hmm. um, in the real world you know right and 
I think adults tend to project a lot of their own fears onto teaching these things and talking about these things with kids, but really um, the kids are perfectly capable of having these conversations and understanding these, these nuances. Right. Is there a particular story that you've read to them that you've had different reactions from them and, and or how did they react? What are some of the kinds of activities that you do with them once they've sure. read a story? Sure, we read one um, and it was in the curriculum. It's called Tomas and the Library Lady mm -hmm. uh, by Pat Mora. And it's about a little boy named Tomas and um, he's from South America and he is a, a migrant worker. He travels from Texas um, to some, I forget, somewhere in the Midwest, um, I, Iowa, every summer for work. And his parents travel for work. Mm -hmm. And um, we kind of expanded that story to talking about privilege and what a migrant worker is and what immigrants are and what the, that, that experience looks like from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And we kind of centered Tomas and what makes him, you know, a rounded, strong character. And we talked about these um, ideas of like, what if you had to move schools every summer? What if you had to like change friends all the time? What if you had to, you know, you, they didn't fly, they drove. And, you know, in the, in the, and it's based off of the true story from the experience that the author had growing up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, wow. he had to, he had to find books. He loved to read and he had to find books at the dump. That was his only way of getting books. Oh, gosh. And um, we, talked about like how that affected Tomas and like oh he's really clever he found these books without having to in different ways that we never thought of you know he had to travel all this way and to help his family work you know he's very brave he's a very strong character he's very smart so we wrote about it and we read other books about different immigrants and uh, migrant families from uh, different countries and related them mm -hmm. to each other. And it had us to start a lot of conversation. Nice, yeah. yeah. I can just imagine the conversation because as you said, the students come from privilege. And so mm -hmm. they have no idea for the most part, unless they happen to have had a discussion otherwise uh, about you know, those who don't have or the difficult lives that others you know, have that are, are not as privileged as they are. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, I know that you've, you've come out in your classroom. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. the right way to say it, but you know, how have your parents responded to your openness about your pronouns and your gender? Yeah, um, I definitely have like, yeah, come out in the classroom and not a lot of other like cis um, heterosexual teachers think about this, but you know, every year is like a coming out. Mm -hmm. um, story we have to come out I have to come out to new students every single year and parents every single year and it's very emotionally um draining yes um because then you just have to deal with different reactions and expectations um but this year <clears throat> yeah I, before even school started I sent an email to parents with a picture of me and Barack and um just that you know this is 
my husband and my pronouns are they, them. Um, I'm a non-binary person and that was it. And uh, I've had a, a few parents over the years. Um, the only, I haven't heard any negative things, thankfully, but I've, the only things I have heard are positive, which is, you know, I'm so happy that my child has, you know, a diverse teacher, like a teacher that's just different from them. And I think it's great to get different perspectives and different people in different classrooms. And I appreciated that. And um, one student last year, um, you know, stood up for his trans cousin at a family dinner and, um, and was like, you know, my teacher has a husband and Mr. Garcia you know, is a teacher and they're really cool and they're wonderful and wow. you know, we should accept people for who they are. And his mom told me that story and she almost started crying. So wow. she was just so touched by a six-year-old, you know, standing up for his adult cousin. Um, so yeah, it's only just been positive experiences. Yeah. 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 I'm really grateful I'm... for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it just reinforces that what you're doing is is really important. And uh, it's the right path. So that, you know, we need to be more open and mm -hmm. not be so defining of you need to be like this, or you need to act like this, or you need to dress like this. Uh, because mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're a multitude of different kinds of people. And so, you know, we need to, we need to really accept that. Um, yeah. at, the, at the beginning, Justin, you talked about, when I mentioned belonging to you, you talked about safety. Mm -hmm. How do you establish that safe space in your classroom from the mm -hmm. beginning of the year? And you've been doing this for a long time. It's not just recent with your, mm -hmm. um, with, <clears throat> I know that when, you know, as you teach, you've always kind of made sure that your students feel in a safe space. But how, how do you do that? What are some of the things that you do? Yeah, I, I'd like to backtrack just a little bit about sure. being out, but it does have to do with safety. Okay. And um, Shay Martin on Twitter um, wrote an article about outness in the classroom. And their article really um, stood out to me because they were explaining how teachers are often pressured to be out and that it's like a duty for them and they have mm -hmm. to do it but really it's up to the person and safety is such a huge part of that and right. I'm grateful to be in a safe place where I can be out but that's not necessarily the reality mm -hmm. for other teachers out there and first and foremost we need to keep us and our families safe and that just looks different for everybody right. um, but for students you know it's it's uh, I think a lot of teachers may latch on to strategies and strategies are, are really helpful, but I think it's all in a mindset too and how mm -hmm. you establish classroom, the culture of your classroom. Right. At the beginning of the year, you know, it's, um, it's not in an authoritative place where you have to listen to the teacher because the teacher said this. It's, uh, we talk about, how we structure our classroom together and um, we make our own the rules together and it's not I really try to avoid a sort of top-down classroom model um, right. the only exception is safety is like if 
someone's being unsafe or if this is an unsafe situation, then it's like, okay, I need to re-evaluate, I need to kind of take control of this situation. Right. But um, yeah, we just create the space together. Mm-hmm. And I think the um, one thing that I'm really doing this year is just trying to remove academic hierarchies from my mentality and my pedagogy altogether and just you know allowing students to just learn at their pace and not worry too much about things like reading levels or or grades and I still have to input grades and I still have to assess reading but the decisions that I make in class in the classroom um, aren't necessarily based off of uh, solely off of these scores, and I try not to mm-hmm. stress about it. Um, and I and I think teachers sometimes unintentionally create this hierarchy of you know um, academic um, success. You mm-hmm. know the low kids, and I really despise these when I hear that term or the high kids, right. um, you know, are doing different things at different times when, and the low kids are being um, rushed to get to a certain point in their learning when, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, this is just how kids are learning. Everybody's learning differently. Why can't we just honor that yeah. and respect it mm-hmm. and meet the kids where they're at, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. You know, the scores and grading and all of that are going to be with us for a while. Mm-hmm. But we don't necessarily need to to look at that as the define the definition of those students sitting in front of us. I know it's still fairly early in the year, but have you noticed that by having that different mindset? that your students have uh, reacted differently or done differently, or is it mostly just for you to be able to stay more focused on where they're at and be able to design your lessons according to what they need individually? It, it definitely has helped me with my lesson planning. It's made me a lot less anxious about it, you know, like worrying about um, scores and what I perceive as progress, you know? Right. Um, when really the progress should be based entirely on the student and what they need and how they're doing. Um, I think the kids in general in class are just relaxed. They're really chill. (laughs) That's so nice. (laughs) It's really nice. And it, and it was funny. I, and I, at first I just thought, Oh, you know, this is like a chill bunch. But then when I had conferences for the first time um, a few months ago, the parents, came to me and a lot of them expressed how anxious their kids are um, or like the behavior was different at home than at school. At school, they were just chill and -hmm. relaxed. And then at home, it just looks very different. Like they're perfectionists. They want to, you know, do everything right. And did it. And I'm like, really? (laughs) That's not what we, that's not what I see at school at all. Like they make mistakes and they, stressed about it and Mm -hmm. we just kind of engage together and collaborate together in math and in reading and in writing and Mm -hmm. no one is um 
stressed out about it and we just have fun. Um, so it was interesting hearing that contrast um, and like, oh, maybe this, they just feel different in these two environments. I'm not really sure, but I think overall the, um, the kids feel a lot more relaxed and in talking with parents and I'm very open about this shift in my mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps, it helps the parents relax a little bit more because they're not feeling that their child is pressured into uh, acting a certain way or learning in a certain way. Um, Their Mm -hmm. child is just able to be a child. Right. Or even achieving at a certain pace Mm -hmm. that maybe they're just not able to achieve at. And, you know, right. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's in first grade at six years old, there's so much pressure on them anyway that uh, it really is, you know, important for us to remember that we need to look at what's developmentally appropriate on top of the fact that, you know, like you said, each child learns, each of us learns at a different pace and differently. So, um, so yeah, so really, really important. And it's, it's nice that you're having those uh, honest conversations with the parents. I, I wanted to tell the listeners that since the beginning of the school year, which started in August, I think, uh, you've been back in the classroom because uh, Thailand has been able to control, or at least for sure Chiang Mai, has been able to control the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. But the students, I believe, are still wearing masks, right? Yeah, and, 100% uh, of the day. Yeah, and it's just recently that I think they've been able to go out and play in the playground or whatever and, and be mm-hmm. in groups. Initially, you had them six feet apart and so forth for the first yeah. couple of months, I think. So yeah. we're dealing with all of that, but the kids seem to be okay. So maybe having that relaxed atmosphere has made it easier for them to, to be able to um, manage the different kind of atmosphere uh, with the masks on and so forth uh, than yeah, they, so. they would have been able to um, if if you hadn't had that relaxed kind of safe space for them. I think so, especially at the be- like the beginning of the year, sort of still in mid-COVID times. And um, I just wasn't, I, I told, I kept telling myself, I'm, I'm not going to stress about this. Like this right. is not an ideal situation. The mm-hmm. kids have been out of school for six months. Mm. We're just going to take, we're going to go slow and we're going to gauge their pace and let them lead me along the way. And I think that really set the tone at the beginning of the year where the kids felt just truly welcome and accepted and Mm -hmm. celebrated in their classroom. Um, And they just have a degree of ownership that just lets them feel safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that they're able to, to perform better, achieve better, because they do feel safe. And that, you know, mm-hmm. that's the whole idea of safety and belonging is that if they, they have those two things, then uh, their, their learning atmosphere, their, their learning will be truly faster and better uh, mm-hmm. within their range of ability uh, because they feel safe and they feel like they, they belong. Well, I hate to come to the end of this because this was so <laughs> wonderful. But yeah. uh, is there any other advice that, or anything else that you wanted to uh, tell our listeners? Yes, um, 
I think we we talked a little bit about before and about it before, but um, before diving into any of this kind of work, um, it's easy to again latch on to strategies for one mm-hmm. book or one type of worksheet or checklist, but really it's not any of those things. It's it starts with a self reflection mm-hmm. and a moment to look inward at yourself and your biases and what right. you know what in, in what ways have you belonged in what ways have you not maybe have belonged and doing that work before mm-hmm. um, changing your teaching practice and your classroom practice it's really right. um, crucial that that's done beforehand and I think it's it's a marathon you know it's not a sprint right and we just need to take the time and energy to really unpack things ourselves. And only until then we're able to shift our mindsets and teaching. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and it's so important to remember this journey to self-belonging, I call it, but really Mm -hmm. understanding ourselves before we can have those relationships, those, those good relationships, the healthy relationships with others and that includes our students. So, mm-hmm. so just in, if people want to find you uh, after this, and of course I'll include it in the show notes, but if they want to look for you, where, where are the best places to find you? Yes, I'm active on Twitter at uh, Crew Justin. That's K-R-U-U underscore Justin. And my website is uh, com forward slash home. And um, yeah, I am post blog posts and I share lots of things on Twitter. So. Right. And, and I also want to mention you have a monthly uh, chat. Do you want to shout that out also? Yeah. We can't forget about that. I don't know why. Yeah. And on Twitter, we have a monthly um, chat called uh, queer underscore edu chat. Queer edu chat. And every month, a different person hosts the chat, a queer person or an ally, and we um, talk about queer related issues in Mm -hmm. education. And we've had some pretty amazing chats and the next one will be in January. Yeah, I look forward to those. Sometimes the timing isn't all that great. No, But I try to go back and look at the archives because they're always so, so interesting. Justin, yeah. thank you so much. I hate to end this, but this was terrific. And I'm, I'm so glad that you found the time to be able to come on today. Oh, thanks, Mom. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to belonging, that's journeys number two belonging dot webstarts dot com. See you next week.